For there are a number of ways I could introduce and sing the praises of our guest preacher, Los Morales, here this morning, church. So besides the fact that before planting Christ Alone Fellowship Church, Los served as the teaching pastor at the Gathering Church in Millersville for eight years, and besides the fact that Los is currently in seminary at Metro Baltimore Seminary, And furthermore, beside the fact that Los has his beautiful church plant in Lancaster City, well on its way to being particularized in the BFC, and has also been officially ordained by the BFC back in 2021, I would like to introduce Los this way. For when my parents were looking for a church about two years ago, out of every pastor and church in Lancaster County, I recommended Los and Christ Alone Fellowship to them as my number one choice, for that is the kind of pastor and shepherd that I think Los Morales is, that I would trust him with my own mother, and not only my own mother, but my own father, my sister, my brother-in-law, and my nephew all attend there now, Christ Alone Fellowship as well and have all been significantly blessed by his faithful ministry. So at this time, church, let's welcome our dear brother, Juan Carlos Los Morales, to the pulpit. Amen. One, two. All right. We're good? All right. Thank you so much, Wes. Appreciate you, man. Um, You're a blessing to us as well. Your pastor's preaching for us in two weeks, so I keep telling people you don't know what's coming. So we appreciate his ministry, his love for the Lord, and your love for the Lord. So bear with me as I try to deliver the word of God here today with this voice. But God don't need my voice. You know, God is sovereign, and he can save no matter the preacher. God saves by grace alone. So as we read already in Colossians 3, I'm going to be focusing on the first four verses with you today. <clears throat> and so the book of Colossians was written somewhere around 58 to 62 AD. The, it's one of Paul's prison epistles. He also wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. <clears throat> They were written when Paul was incarcerated in house arrest for two years in Rome. Some scholars actually point out that there was a heresy that arose called the Colossian heresy. Uh, And so this uh, letter is viewed by some to deal with this heresy that rose in Colossae. So what Paul does is significant in the first half of the book of Colossians where he's giving a cosmic picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's solidifying their view. He's giving them a Christology of who Jesus Christ is. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20, if you want to turn there with me, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Big picture. Paul establishes the truth of the cosmic Christ who reconciled to himself all things. And all things were created through him, and not only through him, but for him. So afterward, Paul begins to warn believers in Colossae about not being deluded by plausible arguments or speeches that seek to persuade them from the faith. You see this in chapter 2, verse 4. So what arguments arose in Colossae that sought to persuade them from the faith? Number one, philosophy and empty deceit, erroneous teaching that tried to send them away empty-handed, making it vain and unfruitful for them. Number two, Paul warned them not to be captive by human tradition, the elemental spirits, the supernatural powers that were at work that do not accord with Christ. And number three, Paul continued to warn them about passing judgment on issues of food, drink, festivals, and new moon, the festival which marked the consecration of God of each new month in the year. And number four, aestheticism, worship of angels, details about visions. These things tried to persuade them from Christ. They tried to paint a picture that Christ was not enough for salvation. In Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23, it reads, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism, And severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul has to give them this big picture of what Christ, who Christ is, and what Christ has done. That's the best way to deal with man made religion and the self image that we at times put on ourselves as if we are better than what God says. This begs the question here, saints. What can stop the indulgence of the flesh? What can keep us from the competing philosophies that seek to persuade us from the faith? I believe our text answers this question for us today. So point number one, we're going to talk about seeking Christ. Seeking Christ in verse one. Number two, setting your mind on Christ. Verses two and three. Setting your mind on Christ. Verses two and three. Then number three. Showing up with Christ, verse 4. Showing up with Christ, verse 4. Somebody's calling. (laughs) Perfect timing. In verse 1, starting with point number 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. And I'm I'm in seminary now, so I'm learning Greek. Greek. And uh, I kind of knew what this meant, but there's these uh, Greek terms called conjunctions, 
which are meant to be used by the author to continue the flow of thought. And we actually find two of them in the beginning of verse 1. Therefore, as one translation puts it, if you have been raised with Christ, and the word raised is a plural verb, and the Lexham English Bible, actually it's becoming one of my favorite Bibles, correct, correctly says it this way. <clears throat> if you have been raised together with Christ, raised together with Christ, seek the things that are above. So Paul had talked already about how believers are raised in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made with hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So believers are raised together with Christ through faith. It's not by philosophies, teaching, traditions, practices of eating right foods, drinks, and festivals, aestheticism, worship of angels, details about visions. These things cannot save you. They're not meant to. These things can't give you the right picture of who God is. In fact, they can't give you a right picture of who we are. And that was the pursuit. If I eat right, if I worship on the right day, if I wear the right things, maybe I'll know who I am. And sometimes we do those things to disguise ourselves so that other people don't know who we really are. But Christ shows us who we are, as we are, as sinners, so that we can come to repentance and trust in him. And then the message of the gospel says, you can't do anything for your salvation. Christ has done it all. Amen. This is good news. It means that I can't bring anything to the table of redemption and salvation but my sin. And what's given in return is this treasure of Christ and his goodness and his grace towards me. This is why we believe in faith in Christ alone for salvation. He has done the work. Faith means trust. We are trusting in an already completed work. Which is why Paul continued to say in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Praise be to God. We were raised with Christ through faith in the work Jesus did in setting aside legal demands and nailing the record of debt that stood against us to the cross. It is because of being raised, saints, with Christ that we are to seek the things that are above. Seeking does not precede being raised. It is because we are raised that Christ is able to be sought. Seeking Christ and the above things is the fruit and evidence of a raised life that God can only accomplish through Christ. 
<clears throat> we who were dead in our trespasses, God made alive together with him. We are raised with Christ because of what Christ has done, forgiving us of all our trespasses and sins that results in seeking him. If you are seeking Jesus Christ today, it's because you have been raised with Christ. You have been saved and delivered. If you are seeking Christ and enjoying it, do you know the miracle that that is? To desire to worship the Lord, to congregate together. I know people that go to church and don't want to go. They just go because they don't want to feel guilty. They don't want the pastor and his wife to call them up on Monday and say, hey, where were you? But if you're here today and you're seeking Christ and you're loving Jesus and you're pursuing him, even in seasons of challenges in your life, that's a miracle from God. Seeking here in our text communicates striving for, devoting effort to. It is a desire to possess something, which, by the way, cannot happen without first being raised with Christ. Have you been been raised with Christ through faith? If so, then seek Christ all the more. Seek the things that are above. Keep your head in the clouds where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Where Christ is. Where is Jesus right now? Where is Christ? Ephesians 1.20 says he's in heavenly places, seated at the right hand of God. I added to our congregation last week that because I, I noticed there's been a lot of new visitors, and they're curious about this thing called church. And I made a point in, uh, to tell them, hey, we not only preach Jesus, we preach him because we believe he's actually alive today, sitting at the right hand of God today. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose again from the dead on the third day, and he ascended to the Father, and he sits in glory and power today. This is real. Keep your head there. Think about things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where he's at today. Notice that Paul speaks of Jesus as being seated. He is seated because the sacrificial atoning work for his people is over. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. No priest was able to sit down in the tabernacle. But when Christ made a sacrifice for sin, he sat down because the work is complete. This is good news. This puts the rest the need to earn or work for salvation through philosophies, through teaching, traditions, practices of eating, aestheticism, worship of angels, details about visions, all competing views that seek to persuade the Christian from the finished work of Christ are worthless and unable to give the hope necessary to persevere in this life. Jesus sat down at the right hand of our God as a high priest because the work of our salvation is finished. Keep your head there, saint. 
result is that we who have been given salvation have been set free from the bondage of sin. What can stop the indulgence of the flesh like we read earlier? Well, it's very clear. Salvation. Faith in Christ who raised us from being dead in our sins. Believing in Christ and trusting in him, seeking him, is how we avoid the passions of our flesh. And in my context, that's a message that has to be preached because people come from churches where they believe that church attendance is how they're made right with God. You know, they they believe that by giving offering or by giving themselves to ministry that that's going to give them greater favor with God. They need to see that in seeking Christ, knowing him, is a miracle that he did completely by himself on the cross. My salvation, which brings about my pursuit of Christ, is how I can avoid temptation and competing philosophies that seek to persuade me from the faith. I am to seek Christ in the scriptures, Christ in prayer, Christ in worship, Christ in the fellowship of the saints. And so seeking entails being faithful, which comes from a desire for Christ, which, by the way, is mocked by those with a carnal mindset. The world constantly is looking at us as a joke, as we're wasting our time and resources here. Seeking Christ is also challenged by the passions of our flesh and the elemental spirits of the age. These things push us to seek earthly things, which is why after our text, Paul says in Colossians 3, 5 through 10, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these things you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That is the word of God. When seeking Christ, we can avoid setting our minds on earthly things that have no eternal worth or significance. So how do I properly, how do we properly seek Christ and the things of God? The answer is by setting your mind where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's our second point, setting your mind on Christ in verses 2 and 3. Look upward. And take careful consideration of things that are above. Acknowledge what is most important to you. Come to terms with what you will think about. Then fix your mind on the things that are above. Think about your thinking. Ever think about that? Think about everything else. We don't think about our thinking. How is my thinking? What should I think about? What should I be preoccupied about? Does it reflect what God commands here in our text? This is actually an imperative. This is a command to set our minds on things that are above. That is how we seek Christ. Paul addressed believers in Colossae 121 about how they were once alienated and hostile in mind towards God. How it is a sensuous mind, a mind fixed on carnal things that is puffed up without reason. 
This is a command in our text, an imperative to think and set our minds on things that are above where Christ is. If not saint, we will default to the earthly. We are to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul is telling them to avoid thinking, fixating, and acknowledging the earthly as what they should be fixated on. Not doing this will result in what he had warned about earlier. Without Christ's finished work in view, we will attempt to keep right standing with God with our own efforts. We will not be focused on the fact that Jesus Christ has sat down at the right hand of God. And the right hand of God is very significant. It's a figure of speech that is meant to say that God has ultimate power and authority. This is where Christ is. Think about these things. Think about the, thinking about this helps us when we think we need to attain right standing with God through our own efforts and the competing views that seek to persuade us away from the finished work of Christ. Paul wanted to guard believers from earthly things that could distract them with the life of putting on what he has said to put on. In Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15, he says, Put on as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience come from seeking Christ, setting our minds on Christ, and being convinced that the work had been finished for our salvation. We are to be a community who have been convinced of the gospel. Have you been convinced? At the heart of apologetics and evangelism is not so much the attainment of all the tactics and knowledge. The number one question is, have you been convinced? Are you sure that you believe what you believe? Has Christ rocked you? Has he filled your heart so you can come with compelling arguments with compassion with love and care for the person you're talking to I know a lot of people that are good at apologetics they're they're not good at loving on people in the process and that's really not biblical apologetics we ought to argue and persuade people with patience and being careful that they're image bearers in in God. So this gospel that's good news that thwarts every workspace system that one, you know, this gospel that we've been given by Christ to share, we are to share it with a convinced heart. You can't be convinced if your mind is not on the things that are above. When was the last time the gospel stirred your heart? Have you been convinced of it? Is it your life pursuing? Is your life pursuing Christ? Do you hold close to your heart what God has done at the cross? If you're so convinced of this gospel, that's an offense. You will share it nonetheless. That's why people don't share it. It's an offense. And people that are preoccupied on themselves, on things that are earthly, will not share the gospel. They won't because I don't want to make people uncomfortable. People are going to look at me a certain way. 
Paul, your mind ain't on things that are above. They're on you, on things that are earthly, things that are temporal. These are questions that we have to answer. When was the last time the gospel really stirred our hearts? The gospel speaks of things above so that we can deal with earthly things. There was a lie uh, in churches that I was into before in the past where this was a famous quote in these churches. They said this, that you can be so heavenly minded that you have no earthly good. You ever heard that? That is not what the Bible teaches. On the contrary, it says to be of earthly good. We must set our minds on things that are above. Little did they know that they would live a performance-based church life by believing this lie. This lie is more about what you do, can do, and have done over what Christ has done and is doing now. So we are, be, we are to be a community of faith convinced of the gospel, which can only happen when we fix our gaze on Christ, which is above all, seated at the right hand of God the Father. So in order for us to be a roughly good we must seek Christ and his glory in all we do. So do we actually seek Christ? Do we seek Christ in the preaching of his word? Do we seek Christ in the fellowship of his saints? Do we seek Christ in prayer and in worship? Do we seek Christ in the reading of his word? You should be if you're of faith. Like Paul says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You should be seeking Christ, pursuing Christ, devoting your life to Christ, because you have died, saint, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Died here in our text. Uh, again, my Greek classes come in handy, y'all. I'm telling you. I'm learning a lot of things. I'm not a, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not an expert at Greek by no means. I'm struggling to remember the alphabet right now. So I'm still learning. But one thing I did learn is something called semantic range of a word. I looked at the semantic range of died. It included uh, died here included that you, you can realize the limits of your mortality. That there's an actual, you know, understanding of this word as someone who realizes the limits of their life. It means that you have the mentality James spoke of in James 4, 13 to 14, where he said, Come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will go into such, such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So when it comes to eternity, this life is vanity, short and quick. But the competing passions in our lives want us to believe that this is all there is. The competing passions of our lives seek to take our minds away from fixating them on Christ and to fixate on the temporal and treat the temporal as all there is. I tell people the lie of the enemy always is to see eternal things as temporal and temporal things as eternal. 
The spiritual warfare that takes place in our lives is best handled when we hold to the truth of God's word about what it says about life, the life to come. We have died, it says, to the elemental spirits of the world and its regulations. We have a different mentality, another worldly way of living. As J.C. Rouse said, affection is the real secret of a good memory and religion. No worldly man can think much about Christ unless Christ is pressed upon his notice because he has no affection for him. Rouse continued to say, the true Christian has thoughts about Christ every day as he lives for this one simple reason, that he loves him. That he loves him. Has Christ been pressed upon you to the point of noticing and having affection for him every day? Does God bother you? I know he does with me sometimes. Is he all up in your business? As we say, he should be. He has every right to be, Saint. For you have died and belong to him. Your life is not your own. This is what the world and the elemental spirits and the flesh attempt to take from us. But we should remember that we have died in Christ from these things. A dead man does not respond. They cannot because they are dead. So much are they dead that the world considers the believer in Jesus Christ of no use. We know that we are now alive in Christ. So seek the things that are above and set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what does a life hidden in Christ look like? Hidden here can mean to keep from being seen, which would happen to those who are dead. You are buried in Christ. In our lives, we are hidden from those who are perishing. We are not hidden in that people cannot hear from us or not know that we are here. But when it comes to what they do, we cannot share in those things that are contrary to God's will. That is the part of the Christian life they cannot understand. They can't understand that apart from grace, this world has no hope. So where is this world going? What is the hope that can save humanity from itself? The answer is very clear. The hope is in the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our last point, showing up with Christ in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Lord, come. Notice Paul tells them that Christ is their life. Christ is what is currently sustaining them. Christ is what they will be sustained by forever. We are not just being sustained, saints, but prepared and being prepared to appear with Christ. Do you believe that? Does that stir your heart today? This is what we need to seek and set our minds to. Christ appearing in glory. The splendor and the renown of Christ will be clearly demonstrated when he comes for his people. Lord, come. The glory has been exchanged, though. For images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things, sadly. It is the glory that man has fallen short of, every one of us. The glory is not worth being compared, however, with the sufferings we face today. On that day when Christ appears, we are promised that we will be raised in glory and power with Christ. 
can't wait because I ain't going to be losing my voice anymore up there. That would be nice. Saying to seek and set our minds on the above things, we must be convinced of the glory of Christ to come. We need to do a better job at guarding the beauty of the truth of Christ appearing. It's become a debate, an eschatological debate. I watch them on YouTube. I'm a historic premio. I think I'm right. Amen. Amen. I'm absolutely right. <laughs> but I have brothers and sisters who believe otherwise. They believe they have different eschatological views. But saying the view of Jesus Christ literally appearing is not just up for debate. It's meant to be celebrated. That's our hope. We are going to be with him in glory. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about this excellent truth. He said, the great doctrine of the second advent has in a sense fallen into disrepute. Because of this tendency on the part of some to be more interested in how and the when of the second coming rather than in the fact of the second coming. Christ is coming and we long for that. Our lives are hidden in Christ now. Kept secret in Christ. But we will appear and will be revealed with him in glory. So our eschatology should produce in us a doxology, a response where we are in tune with our longing to be with Christ. This is the fuel to our seeking him and setting our minds on things that are above, the fuel of being with Christ and sharing in his glory when he appears. This is why personal and corporate worship is essential. Corporate worship is essential. Personal worship is essential. Romans 12, 1, I appear to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Sacrificial, personal worship. As we present our lives to Christ, this is what he desires. This is what we should do as believers in Christ. Seeking Christ, knowing him as enough, is how we can then live sacrificial lives, being preoccupied with what God thinks and wants from us. When we corporately gather together, we are to, Colossians 3, 12 to 16, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another as we get together, bearing with someone who's hard to bear with. I know you got one of those at least. We do that because one day I'm going to be with Christ and be with my brother or sister forever. In our lives, being hidden with Christ, hidden in Christ, we are to come together and worship the Lord. We are seeking and setting our minds on Christ together so that we together can encourage one another as the day of his appearing draws near. You cannot see Christ and think about things that are above by yourself. This is a call to the church. This is why coming on Sundays is essential. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So saint, you will appear with him in glory, but not by yourself. 
Jesus is coming back, not just for you. He's coming back for his people. Are you convinced? If not, then maybe that is why you cannot find what you need. Maybe this is where your passive involvement in the things of God come from. A life of seeking and setting comes from a heart that is convinced. We should be convinced that Christ is right now at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for his people. Are you convinced? Hebrews 9.28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are, eagerly are waiting for him. Are we eagerly waiting, seeking, and thinking of Christ? I'm here to tell you, keep your thoughts, your heart, and your life, your eagerness to be with Christ intact. Eagerly waiting for the Lord of glory to come and save us from our present circumstances. If you have been raised with Christ together, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, then seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things above where Christ is. In order to seek and set your minds on the things that are above, we must be convinced as a church of the glory of the Christ to come. He is coming back. He will come to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And this is the truth, and it is our hope today. So, Saint, keep your head in the clouds. That used to be a negative thing. Like, man, you got to come back to planet Earth, man. You're all the way up there. No, we are. I am. And in order for me to be any good to you, I got to keep my heart and my passion and my desire on the Christ who sits at the right hand of God. That's how we're good to one another. When we see the living Christ and see the scars on his hands, the sacrifice he made for us, how can we withhold forgiveness from each other? How can I be bitter? How can I have bitterness in my heart? I can't. I can't. I have to give up to the Christ who sits at the right hand of God, who made a sacrifice for me even while I was yet a sinner. So keep your head in the clouds, saints. It is how we can be of any good while we are here. And I pray that that will be you today. If you have not come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible describes you, John 3, 36, as that the wrath of God still abides in you. You have sinned against the holy and righteous God. And he's coming back to save those who are his, but also to bring judgment on those who have denied him. I pray today that he would save you. Only God can save. And so call upon the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he rose again from the dead in your heart. Cry out to him and our God can save you. If you're a Christian here today, you've had a passive attitude towards the things of God. Repent. Turn your eyes on Christ who sits at the right hand of God. Worship him. Seek him in prayer. Live right. Live right. You know, we, uh, we talk much about the grace of God, and by all means, we should. But the grace of God should compel holy living. It should compel holy living. It, the goodness and, and the gospel should stir in our hearts the conviction, stir our hearts from turning away from sin. And not only after the fact, because we have people that say, man, I messed up, and I need prayer. No doubt we'll pray for you. 
But why couldn't you resist temptation? Isn't Jesus Christ enough? He is. Keep your head in the clouds where Christ is. Compare that to your current temptation. And by no means, it can't be worth comparing to the beauty of Jesus Christ. The crisis we have in our culture is that people don't see Christ as enough. The crisis in our church is that people are more concerned with entertaining people than to being faithful to our God. So our preaching, our prayer, our congregating together, saint, we have to keep our heads in the clouds where Christ is to be of any earthly good to this world. And I'm thankful that Pastor West and the leaders here in our denomination and our churches have this focus. We desire to glorify the Lord and to Preach the truth of the gospel to our dying world. So keep your head in the cloud, saints, where Christ is. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. God, would you be with us? I thank you that I was able to speak, God, and uh, thank you. My voice was a lot worse this morning. You've made it better. I give you glory for that. Father, I pray that um, Colossians... Three, one to four will be marked in our hearts as remembering that we are to keep our heads, our thoughts, our hearts to where you are, to be of any good. Guard this church, guard our churches from any error that will come in, telling us that Christ is not enough. Would you help us and compel us to good works? That you will be glorified. We love you and we thank you, God. Help us. Keep our thoughts on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, church, as we do every week, let's prepare our hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper. For communion is a time, church, where we remember the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a time that we as a church body can celebrate and be convinced that Jesus Christ will come again for his bride, the church. And it's a time that we as a church family get to testify to one another our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior above all. Church, we practice here what is called open communion. So if you are walking in faith this morning in, your, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and with other believers, then you are welcome to partake this morning. You do not need to be a member of this church. However, we would ask you to abstain this morning from communion if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Through the preaching of the word this morning and through hearing the gospel to the non-Christian who is here today, I pray that today is the day you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions about the gospel that was proclaimed or about what it means for Jesus Christ to be the only means of salvation, that he will come again Please see me after the service as I would love to chat, or see Los, he would love to chat as well, as we would love to explain the gospel more clearly. 
But if you are not walking in faith with Jesus Christ this morning, we would ask you to abstain from communion. We'd also ask you to abstain if you are a believer who at this time is holding fast to a known sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28 says that we are not to take communion in an unworthy manner, church, but we are to examine ourselves before coming to the Lord's table. So if you, brother Christian, sister Christian, are walking in unrepentant sin this morning, we'd ask you to confess your sin and to seek forgiveness before joining us at the Lord's table. At this time, church, as we prepare ourselves for communion, let's take a couple moments to get our heads in the clouds, if you will, and to think deeply and to meditate this morning on the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ.